Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. All right, well, I want to start our time off this morning with a scenario. I would like for you to picture a close friend. And let's imagine that you were spending time with your close friend last night. And by the end of the evening, they started to get quiet and a bit withdrawn. You thought, okay, that's a bit odd, but didn't give much thought to it. Until this morning, just before you left for church, you received a text message from this friend that simply read, we need to talk. What's the first thought that pops into your mind? I'm willing to guess that for a lot of you, you're thinking, oh, what did I do? Okay, what did I say? And you're trying to pinpoint a moment last night where things went wrong. Did I say something? Did I do something? Was it their birthday? Did I forget their birthday? And you're, you're going through all the possibilities. Then I'm willing to guess that there's more than a few of you in here who will start to write the script to explain what happened. You know, they're always so sensitive. The littlest thing sets them off. Yeah, I, I know what it is. I'm just experiencing a lot of success in my life right now, and they're jealous. That, that, that's that's got to be it. You know what? I don't need this kind of drama in my life right now. You know, I try to be a good friend. This is what happens. It backfires. If any of that resonates with you, <laughs> this is an indication in your life of how you handle unresolved conflict. One of the largest robbers of peace in our lives is not dealing with unresolved conflict. And, and you know it when, you, when you're in it. Because peace simply means harmony. It means the absence of quarreling and opposition and disunity. And you know it when you got it. Have you ever shared a meal with someone to whom you are at peace? It's fun. It's pleasant. You don't want it to end. Have you ever shared a meal with someone to whom you have unresolved conflict? It's awkward. It's tense. You're counting down the minutes for it to end. Everyone's walking on eggshells. And when you look at those two things, you think, which would I rather have? The answer ought to be obvious. You should want peace. And for for many of us, we have unresolved conflict in our lives even now. And you know how it is. You, You can't think straight. You can't sit still. Some of you turn to binge eating or 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 crying. You know, some of you will even Never respond to that text message from your friend. You'll just completely cut them out and never talk to them again. And that's a good friend. How do you handle unresolved conflict with people who aren't your friends? Or maybe people who are in your family or coworkers, a spouse, someone in your small group. Friends, if we don't learn how to handle unresolved conflict in a way that is appropriate and biblical, it will leave us spiraling in anxiety anger or avoidance. And that is not what Jesus wants for your life. He wants you to be able to experience a peace of mind. So how do we experience this kind of peace when we find ourselves in conflict? That's the question of the morning. And so we're going to turn to God's word for guidance. And so if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, let's make your way to the New Testament book of James chapter 4. We're going to look at several pieces of scripture today. I'll have the verses up on the screen to help you along the way. But before we get into 
how we find peace, let's first identify where conflicts come from. This is James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, and the half-brother of Jesus says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Where does conflict come from? According to James, it starts with the heart. Because the fact that you and I all have sin in our lives, we are all going to experience conflict. It started with the first humans ever, Adam and Eve. They introduced conflict into the world when they sinned against God. It was as if Adam and Eve were driving the bus of humanity. We were all on it, and they swerved off the road and crashed, and we all felt the pain, even though it wasn't our choice. And as a result, we've been having conflict ever since. God clearly instructed Adam and Eve they can enjoy any fruit, but they had to stay away from the fruit from the knowledge of the tree of garden of, of good and evil. What did Adam and Eve do? They disobeyed and shuttled it down their mouth. And when God questioned Adam, here's how he responded. Genesis 3.12. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. First marital conflict ever recorded in the Bible was right here, three chapters into the entire book. Husband blaming the wife. Isn't it so nice to know how much we've changed since then? Where do quarrels and fights come from? They come from the desires that battle within. Adam and Eve had a couple of sons, and they experienced conflict too. Genesis 4, 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. You desire but do not have, so you kill. Conflict exists because of the sin that's in our hearts. And when you look at the countless men and women throughout the Bible, we see conflict in the pages of the Old and New Testament. Abraham had conflict with his nephew Lot over where to live. Jacob had conflict with his brother Esau after he tricked him out of his birthright. Saul had conflict with David over who was more popular, a conflict that caused David to run for his life. In the New Testament, we see two women in Martha and Mary who had conflict over meal preparation. Even the disciples of Jesus had conflict with each other over which one would become the greatest disciple. The Apostle Paul, arguably the second most important man in the New Testament, had conflict with his own mentor that caused he and Barnabas to have to part ways. Where did all this conflict come from? It comes from the heart. You and I experience conflict naturally, which means if you do nothing at all, you'll experience conflict. Someone will be mad at you for doing nothing at all. If you are married, you will have conflict because now you have two sinners under the same roof whose sin is bumping up against one another. And if you have a child, now you have three sinners in the mix and you're going to have conflict. And the more children you add, the more conflict you'll have. It's inevitable. It's a part of who we are. It just comes naturally. Here's the incredible thing. This is what's true about every single one of us, you and me. No one ever taught us how to have conflict. I never took a master class on how to, how to misbehave. No one ever sat me down and taught me how to be selfish 
and moan and fuss and elbow my way to the front of the line. Yet we mastered these things all on our own because it comes naturally. But you know what doesn't come naturally? Peace. In order to pursue peace, we've got to do things that are unnatural, meaning things that go against our instinct. And many of us have never even really learned how to pursue peace. And yet, the Apostle Paul implores all believers in in Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have this command to do everything within your power to have peace in your relationships. Now, every conflict cannot be solved. You may have some conflicts in your life where the other person is not interested in peace. I cannot control what somebody else does. I can only control what I do. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on me, I'm to live at peace with everyone. So how do we do that? How do we pursue peace when there is conflict? Well, today I want to give you a couple of highly practical steps of some things that we could try with our relationships. And so write these down or else you'll forget them. Here's the first one I want you to get on how to pursue peace. Number one, decide next steps. Here's the question that we want to answer. Is this conflict worth fighting over? Is this something that I need to go through the steps of reconciliation with, with somebody? There's incredible wisdom in the scriptures. The book of Proverbs says this, Proverbs 19.11, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. What this scripture is saying is that there are plenty of things that occur in our lives that offend us, that it's okay to turn and look away. Everything doesn't have to be a level 10 battle. Now, there are exceptions to every single one of these, and the biggest one is abuse. Uh, if, if you find yourself in an abusive situation, that's not something you just want to overlook. But if we're all being honest, the reality is that most of us are not in abuse situations. We are dealing with the skirmishes of everyday life, family, friends, coworkers, etc. And there are a lot of things we can overlook. And it's very, very important that we distinguish the difference between being hurt and being annoyed. All of us have a set of pet peeves of things that just get under our skin. For example, there are some of you who are really, really annoyed with how people in your house chew. Okay? You're not in unresolved conflict with them, okay? There are some of you who get really bothered by how certain people pronounce certain words. It's Barnes and Noble, not Barnes and Nobles. You know? Okay. That's something worth overlooking. You know, for me, one of my pet peeves is when people who have the ability to sing choose to whistle. If God has blessed you with a singing voice, you leave the whistling to the rest of us. That's ours. Okay? That's not something I need to have big, unresolved conflicts with people. There's a difference between being hurt and being annoyed. But the reality is sometimes there are other conflicts that occur in our lives that it's just on us. Maybe you were already having a bad day when the conflict hit, and you, you made it worse. Maybe, maybe you're fighting off a migraine, or it's that time of the month, or your sports team just got whipped, and you're just in a bad mood. For some of us, 
We've been hurt by someone else, but we're taking out on the people who had nothing to do with that hurt. Sometimes it's just on us. And in such cases, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So when you decide next steps, you're deciding, is this something that I can get over or is this something that I need to reconcile? So how do you make that decision? Well, here's just one suggestion. Give it an hour. When you've been offended, do you have enough self-control for one hour to not say anything, send anything, or post anything? One hour. If after an hour, your heart's moved on, you've already turned the page, crisis averted. We can overlook the offense. But if you find yourself replaying it over and over again, if you find yourself days later driving in your car and you're having imaginary conversations with the person, or, or you're, you're saying to yourself over and over again, it's not a big deal, guess what? It's a big deal. And you are in the throes of unresolved conflict. So the first thing is decide next steps. Here's the second one. Devise, or excuse me, detail your part. Meaning this, the question we want to answer is, what have I contributed to this conflict? Either intentionally or unintentionally. Can I detail my part? Jesus has a lot to say about conflict resolution. He should, he's the prince of peace. Listen to these powerful words in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 3. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So this comes out of a, a, a teaching of Jesus' most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to picture thousands of people, young and old, sitting on this this hillside listening to Jesus talk and he brings up this humorous metaphor. You got one person with a giant tree sticking out of his head and he goes to the other person who's got this tiny little shred of wood and says, you got to do something about that speck. It's not a good look for you. You got to take care of that ASAP. And the crowd starts to chuckle because what makes it funny is that it's true. You and I possess an incredible ability to spot the flaws in other people. We can see them so clearly, even the little ones. And yet we miss the flaws in our own lives. And what Jesus is imploring all of us in the face of conflict is to make sure we take a look in the mirror and ask ourselves, did I have any part in this conflict? Maybe I wasn't clear enough in my instruction. Maybe I didn't make my expectations known. Maybe I thought it was funny, but others didn't. Maybe I was just being selfish. Can you detail your part? Even if the other person is 99% in the wrong, can you identify your 1%? It's very rare that the problem is entirely on the other person. If we are able to just see how we may have intentionally or unintentionally contributed to the conflict, we set ourselves up for a much greater likelihood of experiencing peace amidst the conflict. So the first thing, number one, decide next steps. Number two, detail your part. Here's the third one, devise a plan. The question we want to answer here is this, how do I bring this up? You got to have a plan if you are going to let another person know that there is something between you. 
If you don't have a plan, you could get yourself in trouble. What happens is we often explode and try to deal with it right there in the moment when emotions are running hot, or you may find yourself stomping to someone's porch and banging on their front door at 11 o'clock at night, or ambushing somebody at their workplace and creating a scene, or dropping a bomb uh, during the family dinner at the table. None of those are going to help because it's just going to cause everybody's defenses to go up. Instead, we've got to have a plan. What is a smart and godly way for me to be able to let another person know that something occurred that has caused conflict between us? Once again, let's turn to the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, the context of Jesus' teaching is how to deal with sin within the family of believers. But don't look at this passage so narrowly that you miss an incredible principle when it comes to conflict resolution. These words, just between the two of you. If we can move the needle even a little bit in, in just this area between the two of you, we will have made massive strides towards conflict resolution. But you know what we do. We have conflict with someone, so we start talking to everybody else except for the person to whom we have conflict. And, the, and what Jesus believed was that the best environment for resolving conflict, for pursuing peace, is for the two people in conflict to talk with one another. I have found in my own life, the vast majority of conflicts can be solved if we just get around the table and look eyeball to eyeball and hear one another not exchanging text messages, which can easily be misconstrued, but having a conversation just between the two of us. One of the things that our staff and elders have committed to when it comes to conflict resolution is to make this statement, I will seek clarification through conversation, meaning I will go to the person to whom I have a conflict with, and I will ask clarifying questions, things like, can you help me understand what you meant when you said this? Is there a reason why you didn't ask me for my opinion? From my perspective, this appears. Is there something I'm missing? When you go directly to another person, what you do is you take a problem that is potentially fixable and you set it up for a chance to find peace. But if you don't go right to that person, what you do is you add layers of complexity to the problem that makes it bigger and bigger and harder and harder to solve. Jesus said, just between the two of you. There's another aspect to this too, and that's the clock. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. He said, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. What he's saying is, don't let the conflict grow worse with time. It's like a cavity. Has anybody in here ever had a cavity that healed itself? No. So when you have a cavity, you got two choices. I can either have a little pain now and deal with the problem, or I can experience a lot of pain later to deal with the problem. Either way, there's going to be pain. I'd rather take a little bit of pain. I had a ministry mentor who used to say to me, how long are we going to deal 
work on what isn't the problem before we work on what is the problem. And for so many of us, the problem is just sitting there and we're not doing anything about it. And it's growing and it's getting worse over time. It does not heal itself. A number of years ago, I got into a conflict with a family member. And out of nowhere, they snapped on me. I know why you're so mad at me. Oh, didn't know I was mad at you. Um, now, I know why you're mad at me. It's because of that comment I made two weeks ago. And you've been treating me like garbage ever since. I'm like, two weeks ago? What, what comment did you make? You know, truly I don't. You got to help me out. So they went on to explain this, this comment. And I had to let them know that since the time they said that, I have thought about it 0.00% of my time. I was not mad at them. I was not thinking about this comment. I'm skipping around living my best life. And they're angry. For weeks they've been sitting on this and the anger has been growing. And I had no idea. And that's what happens when we don't deal with the problem. We, we start to write this script. Okay, I, I know why they're upset with me. It's because of this, and it's because of this, and it's because of this. And we come up with this whole story, and we start interpreting the other person's behavior through our script. Here's an idea. How about instead of writing a story and developing theories and talking to everybody else, what if we just went to the other person to see if we could handle it just between the two of us? And we did so quickly. That will greatly increase the likelihood of finding peace. So the first thing is decide next steps. Two, detail your part. Three, devise a plan. Here's the fourth one. This is so critical. Define the win. The question we want to answer here is this. What does peace look like in this conflict? How will we know if we've solved the problem? Once again, let's look to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14.10 says, Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Here's what that means. You know you better than anyone else knows you. You know the kinds of things that make your heart bitter. You know the kinds of things that bring joy into your life. You're well aware of those things. And one of the barriers that stands in the way of finding peace and conflict is we think the other person should know why I'm upset. And the fact that they don't know makes you even more bitter. How can you not know? Uh, I don't know. I'm dumb. Uh, you got to make it known. This is where defining the win comes in. You see, so many of us are good at defining the problem. How many of us can define a solution? Let me give you a scenario. There is a married woman who is uh, just naturally kind of a passive person. She tends to avoid conflict, very rarely speaks her mind, but lately there's an issue in her marriage that has robbed her so much of her peace that she can't remain silent anymore. She's been upset because her husband has been spending a lot of time with female coworkers. And at first she thought, okay, maybe I'm being too sensitive, but the constant work trips and the, the frequent going out to eat at restaurant dates with all of these coworkers and the endless exchange of text messages between these coworkers at all hours of the day and night left her at a point where she said, I, I have to say something. 
And so she sat down with her husband just between the two of them and expressed her concern about the amount of time he was spending with all of these different women from his work. Immediately he gets defensive. And for the next hour, they start going back and forth in a rather tense kind of conversation. And, and finally, out of frustration, he just says to her, what do you want me to do? And in the heat of the moment, she blurts out, I, I want you to apologize. So he says, fine, I'm sorry. Are we good? And she goes, yeah, we're good. There's only one problem. She wasn't good. Because the more she thought about it, what she didn't want from him was an apology. What she wanted was a change of behavior. That's the win. That's the win. The problem was that it was never articulated. Each heart knows its own bitterness. Each heart knows its own. You have to make your heart known. And in this situation, uh, what, what this woman did was she thought about it a little more, went back to her husband and said, okay, listen, I know earlier I said I just want an apology, but here's actually what I really want. I want you to limit the amount of interaction you're having with your female coworkers. You are not single anymore. You are married to me, and I desire to be the only woman in your life. Now we have a target. Now we know what will bring peace in the conflict. If you don't define the win, you're going to be aimless. Can you imagine a sport competition in which two teams are competing against one another, but neither one knows how to win the game? What's going to happen? There's going to be running all around, not knowing what to do, which is how many of our conflicts are. We're just running around, not knowing what to do. We keep restating the problem over and over again, but we're not getting towards any defined win. And so this man and this woman, they sat down, they began unearthing a lot of these unspoken expectations and things in their life, and they both had to own certain areas of behavior, but they came up with a win together. They thought, this is what's going to bring about peace in this particular conflict. So the man decided that he was going to limit his text messages with his female coworkers to just work-related matters. He, they determined that he could start packing the lunch to limit the amount of times they were going out to restaurants together. And then he realized that when he goes on work trips, he has to check in with his wife more frequently to assure her that she is the primary relationship in his life. That's what brought about the peace. They were able to define the win. So many of us define the problem. How many of us define the win? What will bring peace in the situation? So four steps are decide next steps. Detail your part, devise a plan, define the win. I want to give you one more, and this is what happens after the conflict has been resolved. This is so critical. Number five, desert old hurt. The question we should answer here is, am I holding someone hostage to past sins? Once again, the wisdom of Paul. Listen to what he says about love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. I want to focus on that, that aspect right in the center of that list. Love holds no record of wrongs. I've seen something at play in families in our culture, even in churches, and that is this. When a person gets put in the doghouse, they can never get out. 
How many times has a family member made an error and even though they've apologized over and over again and changed their behavior, the family still holds it over their head? You know, how, how, many, how many times we see cancel culture play out in our own lives? A friend upsets us or offends us, and so we cancel them. We unfollow them on social media. We block their contact in our phone. After years of peace, we just cancel the relationship. I've seen this play out with Christian couples, Christian parents, sadly, even Christian pastors, that you develop an opinion about someone that gets locked in forever. But if love holds no record of wrongs, then why are we doing it? Now listen, if somebody is showing a, a repeated pattern of behavior, that's one thing. But if a person has demonstrated that, that their life has changed, why are we still holding them hostage? That needs to be water under the bridge, not bullets in the gun. Bullets that you could use the next conflict that you have. This past Sunday, I was driving, or this past Monday, I was driving my son to school, and on Monday mornings, his school has a late start. They begin at 9.45 in the morning, which for a pastor who has long Sundays, that's a gift to me. So we're, we're on the way to school, and I see him straining, looking ahead. I go, well, what is it you're looking for? Because I'm just trying to see if there's other cars here. Here's where that comes from. Sometime last year, I was driving him to school. On Monday, I dropped him off for his late start, and we didn't see the normal flow of school traffic. Turns out that on that particular day, it wasn't late start. So I dropped him off two hours late. It also turns out that that day was a half day. So I went into school for like an hour and then came home. Somehow he was mad about this. <laughs> if this happened to me when I was a kid, I'd be partying like it was 1999. Uh, but for him, he was embarrassed by it. And so we're, we're driving to school, and he's, he's there looking for some other cars. And then he reminded me of the time that I brought him to school when it wasn't late start Monday. And I said, son, there's two ways we could look at this. You could either doubt me for the one time I got it wrong, or you could trust me for the 99 times I got it right. And as I thought about that, I began to ask myself, do I practice what I preach? Because with my own children, I often will hold things over them even though they've demonstrated that they have changed. And I think maybe you might be doing the same thing. Look, there's going to be mistakes. But if a person has exemplified marital faithfulness, or a person has demonstrated sobriety, or someone has been consistent in the way they talk about others, or their work ethic, or how they're living their life, why are we holding them to these same old errors. Proverbs chapter 10 says this, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. If you've already gone through the hard work of resolving conflict, why are you stirring it back up? That's actually the opposite of love. It's hatred. You're never gonna experience peace if you're stuck in the past. There comes a point in time where you have to move on. If the problem's been solved, let it go. By the way, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't hold our past sins against us? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. When I surrender my life to Jesus, I don't become just a marginally improved version of me. I become a new me. Now, I still struggle with my sins, but now I have a new nature to fight against my old nature. I'm a new creation. Then he continues in verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So in order for me to have a relationship with Jesus, I have to deal with unresolved conflict. I have to first come to him and admit my sins. I have sinned against you, God. I have offended you. And then I have to ask him to change me from the inside out because remember, sin comes naturally. Conflict comes naturally. I can't just deal with this on my own. I need you to change me, Jesus. And that's when he, he comes in, the spirit comes into your life and helps you work through a lot of those old kinds of issues. And the reason why I could start to have peace with others is because Jesus showed me how to have peace with God. He's given me the ministry of reconciliation. See, you're not gonna have peace in your relationships until you have peace with this relationship first. You gotta have peace with God. That's only offered through faith in Jesus. Do you have that kind of peace this morning? For many of you, you might be looking for this peace in accomplishment or entertainment or other relationships. You're never gonna find peace there. It's only gonna be found when you surrender your life to Jesus. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do that today. I wanna lead you in a prayer of, of resolving the conflict that you have with God. It's just admitting your sin and it's believing in faith he died for you and then committing to following him. And so if you've never intentionally prayed a prayer like this, I'm not just talking about believing in the big man upstairs or, or going to catechism class or, or, or hoping that your parents' faith covers you. I'm talking about making a personal decision to follow Jesus. So if you've never done that, I wanna invite you right now to bow your heads, to close your eyes, and I want you to repeat these words after me in the silence of your heart. Jesus, today I surrender to you. You tell them, Jesus, today I surrender to you. I want to have peace with God. I believe you died in my place. And I ask that you forgive me of my many sins. Will you change my heart? Make me a new creation so I could leave my old life behind and follow you in this new life. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I wanna to encourage you to tell someone, don't sit silently on that. Here's a simple way to do it. On the program you received when you came in, there's a little perforated card. You could just tear that off and there's a box at the bottom that says, I said yes, I prayed to receive Christ. Fill that out, check that box, and in just a moment, ushers will pass offering bags through the aisles. You can just drop that card right in there and we'll follow up with you this week. Maybe you wanna take your next step in your faith. You already trusted in Jesus, but you wanna get moving forward. Here's how to do that. Take your phone and text the word next to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people will get that message, exchange a few texts with you to help customize your plan of how to take your next step. Maybe that's getting involved here, joining a small group. Maybe you need someone to talk to or questions answered or some assistance. Text next to 909-281-7797. Or out in our lobby is a table that says next steps. There's a person who can have a conversation with you today about any questions you might have. 
Next week, we're gonna continue to look at issues that rob us of our peace by looking at how we compare ourselves to others. Are you stuck in the comparison trap? Do you know someone who is? You ought to invite them to come to church with you next week and experience together what God may have for you. Until then, let's remember this. The reason we have conflict is because there is sin in our lives. It was the Christian author, Max Lucado, who said this. Conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Friends, today, let's take intentional steps towards pursuing peace. It's never easy, but I can tell you from experience, peace is always better. You believe it? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for being a God who doesn't just throw us in the doghouse and leave us chained to our sin, but instead you offer a path forward through faith in Jesus. Thank you for reconciling us to you. Thank you for dealing with the conflict. And Lord, for those of us in this room who find ourselves in conflict with others, will you give us exactly what we need to practice the ministry of reconciliation, not to be case builders, but to be peacemakers. Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the conviction to do it well, to not kick in doors with guns blazing, but in humility, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone. And as we prepare now to give tithes and offerings, I pray that you would take these gifts and multiply them. Lord, may this act of giving be another act of surrender to you, an act of worship that pleases your heart. We love you, and we thank you for your forgiveness. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus, and if you believe in your heart, then somebody say, amen. amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.